As I said, I believe uh, last week as we looked at those four writers, I believe those four are depictive of one person. One person who is in that power, who has that power, who uh, takes steps uh, along those lines, and the Bible lays that out for us, and we call him the Antichrist. And so, I want to look a little bit, start a study tonight. Again, as, as I said, it might be a little shorter tonight, but start a study on him and what does the Bible have to say about him. Who is he? We hear a lot about him, right? I mean, it's an instantly recognizable term. It's one of those terms, I don't even think if you've gone to church, you're going to recognize the term Antichrist. And we've, we've heard a lot about him, but is, there's still some mystery wrapped around him. We don't know who he is. We don't, don't really know where he's going to come from. Uh, we can kind of guess by some things that the scriptures say, but he's a key player in this final drama. He's not center stage. Christ is. Don't forget that. This is all in control by Christ, and this is how Christ takes back his reign, and he does it in the way that only he can. Um, only God would come up with the plan of salvation. We couldn't do it, and it wouldn't. if we did, it wouldn't be as glorious, but he does. And the same is true of this final drama as he takes back his rule on the earth. Only he can come up with it, and it's perfect, and it's going to be uh, just as he... Um, just as he wills it, and it will be awesome, and he has chosen to make a key player of that, this man we call Antichrist. Now, you know the term Antichrist is not used in Revelation. John, who writes Revelation as the Spirit leads him, uh, uses it in his letters. Uh, you can see it in Second John and verse 7, and a couple times in, in the book of First John. Uh, he uses the term Antichrist, but as far as Revelation, Revelation calls him a couple different names. Uh, Paul calls him a couple different names. And um, Jesus himself even calls him a, a certain phrase. So, if he is so important, if he is so center stage, why are to be... We should be concerned about him, and we should look to see what the Scriptures say. There's much in the Bible about him. There are God-breathed, inspired words that are written for our learning so that we can understand. Um, not only in the book of Revelation, but Jesus himself, which is what we're going to go to. Jesus himself, who is in control of all of this, makes it a point to tell us about him. So I want you to turn your attention to Matthew chapter 24. Uh, this is one of Jesus' sermons as he sit down, sits down and instructs. It's called the Ser Sermon on the Mount of Olives, the Olivet Sermon. Um, we're familiar with the sermon in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Well, this is similar, just a different subject. And I think this is where we need to start. As we, we begin looking at the, the, the question, who is the Antichrist, we're going to need to start here because of some things that Jesus says. So let's take a quick walk through some of these verses, kind of set the stage. Next week we'll dive in deeper and we will uh, uh, start piecing some of this together. Matthew 24 and verse 1, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And His disciples, you might want to underline that or take notes of that, His disciples came to Him for to show Him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto who? Them. You see the discourses is going on. It's, much, it's very similar to 
the Sermon on the Mount. He sits down to teach his disciples. There are other people who are hearing him. But this is mainly a discourse, a sermon from Jesus to his called out ones, his ecclesia, his church at that time. Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He says, look at this temple. And that temple would be something to behold. It was a Herodian temple. Herod had built it. And it was beautiful and magnificent. Um, just the, the beauty that was poured into it. He says, this is all going to be torn down. Now, he's making a prophetic statement. Let's, let's just get that out of the way because there are some who will use these verses uh, to denote the whole context of the, uh, the, the passage. Let me just say this. He's making a prophetic statement. He's talking about short-term fulfillment. To make a long story short, some of what we're going to look at, not only here but in the book of Daniel, happened in A.D. 70, or 70 A.D., however you want to hear it. If, if, if you've studied history, then you know about the destruction of the temple. You know names like Antiochus Epiphanes and Things like that will ring a bell. I don't really want to get into that in this study, uh, but there was a time shortly after the time of Christ when this temple was destroyed. It was burned. It was razed by the Romans and by uh, this man named Antiochus, Anti Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, so there's a short-term fulfillment to that. And some of the things that the book of Daniel says points to that. I don't really want to dive that deep. But what I want to say is the things that happened in the short term, which sometimes do happen in Scripture, those are an ultimate type or an ultimate shadow of the fulfillment. Think of this. You look at figures like Moses and Joseph and Joshua, and they lived a life, and they, they went through events. Moses led the, the people out of Egypt. Joshua led the people in, in victory. And Joseph suffered the things that he did. And even though they lived that, their lives were pointing to an ultimate type and a fulfillment of Christ. You can see that Moses is a type of Christ. Joshua is a type of Christ. Joseph in his sufferings is a type of Christ. So you have this, this idea of a short-term fulfillment taking place, but then pointing to something bigger. And the events that take place in A.D. 70, some of the things that Jesus is saying took place in A.D. 70, those are a type, if you will, of the ultimate fulfillment, which I believe is in the end times that are yet to come. Ultimately, I believe these prophecies are about what takes place in Revelation. So that's, that's what I'm viewing, and that's uh, what I believe Jesus is speaking here. So let's pick it up in verse 3. And as He sat upon the Mount of Olives... Again, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming in the end of the world? What, <coughs> excuse me. When are these things going to happen? And when you're coming back, what are the signs that we're looking for? What is the end of the world going to be like? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Just take note of who the audience is and who Jesus is speaking to. You know, when it comes to prophecy, sometimes things can go sideways and they can get confusing, uh, depending on, and it all depends on where you're placing the return of Christ. Now, we'll get to that and we'll talk about that. But I believe the Bible's quite simple. I don't believe 
Jesus is speaking to the nation of Israel in Matthew chapter 24. I think it's pretty clear his disciples sit down. They ask him some questions. Tell us when these things are going to happen, what they're going to look like. And Jesus answered and said unto them, verse 4. He's telling his church what they need to know. It doesn't all of a sudden switch, and this is all applies to Israel, and we need to know nothing in here because this all means for Israel and, and nothing to us, which is quite a popular viewpoint. No, I think he's talking to his church just the same as he was in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and he's telling us some things that we need to know. So they ask him pretty much the two important questions are, what are the sign of your coming? And of the end of the world. And he's going to spend the next couple chapters actually answering that. And he'll use some parables. Uh, but some of the things he says here in the beginning of the chapter are very important. Verse 4. Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. He'll use that word seven times, or excuse me, several times here in this discourse. Deceived. Be careful that you're not deceived. Uh, the other gospel writers record it the same. Be careful that you are not deceived. And that means to lead astray, to take away from the right path and to lead them off on the wrong path. Be careful that doesn't happen to you because that's going to be something that happens in this time of the end. Verse 5, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. We read that verse and we probably focus on that phrase, I am Christ. And we immediately think about somebody coming on the scene saying, hey, I'm Jesus. What does the verse say? There's going to be a lot of people who are coming in my name, saying that I sent them, saying I am Christ. Well, you know what Christ is? It's not Jesus' last name. It simply means anointed. They're going to come in my name saying, hey, I've been anointed. I've been called, I've been appointed, I've been chosen. Not necessarily coming on the scene saying, hey, I'm Jesus. If somebody comes on the scene saying that, or somebody stands up on TV and says that, we're going to say, he's a nut. He's not Jesus, he's crazy. But how many, how many have been on TV or out in the public or behind a pulpit and say, Jesus sent me, I've been anointed by Him to preach this message, so listen to me. Many. And how many people follow Him? How many people follow that kook that says he's going to blow coronavirus away through the phone or the, through the TV or anoint you with holy water and condemn it? Does anybody look around and say, hey man, it's been like three weeks, it didn't work? No, they follow Him, don't they? deception there's going to jesus says when it comes to the times of the end there's going to be deception everywhere people coming and saying hey jesus sent me coming in my name saying i'm anointed don't be deceived verse six and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars see that you be not troubled for all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet again if we, as we've said conflict has been the history of humanity and with each major war Thoughts turn to the, the end. Think of World War I or World War II or some of the wars that we've been through. We begin to think, well, could this be the end? And Jesus says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. These things must come to pass. The end's not yet. And then he begins to describe what will mark the end. Verse 7. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes 
in diverse or various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. If that description there sounds familiar, it should, because it sounds exactly like the events we've been describing under the first four seals in Revelation 6. Peace, war, famine, death, nation rising against nation, pestilences. Hey, I heard there's murder hornets in the Pacific Northwest. You know what? That scares me more than any virus. Those things are like that big. I've seen a post on Facebook that said uh, walking gators or something like that is next. These things are signs of the end, Jesus says, famine and war and death. And he says, in fact, they're all just the beginning of sorrows, literally birth pains. All these are just the start. And though they might bring extreme discomfort like the pains of labor do, just like the pains of childbirth lead to such a greater joy, so do these pains that he's talking about. They lead to the greater joy of Christ coming. So in verse 9, Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. You don't like that verse? I don't like that verse. It makes us feel uncomfortable, doesn't it? Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. These are probably among the hardest verses to hear in the Bible, honestly. We do not like this concept. We like the acceptance that we've come to know. And, but if we're, in reality, this is, something, this is not something new that Jesus is saying. This has been the case for the past 2,000 years. The church has been hated by the world. The church has been despised by the world. It just comes to a head at this time uh, that we're looking at. And false prophets, verse 11, shall rise and shall deceive many. Again, pointing back to what he said in verse 5. False prophets are going to come. People are going to follow them. So much more I could say. We'll just leave it at that. Deception will abound. And because iniquity shall abound, verse 12, the love of many shall wax cold. Because sin and lawlessness will be the time, uh, the, the descriptor of the age, and it will be so abundant all around, the love of the truth will grow dim. Because of the deception, the love of the truth will grow dim. Their love for God, their love for this world, the love for the, the word, excuse me, the, tr- the love for the truth of the word will grow cold. And many will fall away. Many will fall away, as Paul says in his letter to the Thessalonians. Verse 13, But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Not saved from hell, but delivered from this life, delivered from corruption, delivered ultimately. Verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. There are people who must be reached with this scripture first. They must be reached with the gospel. God knows that. I think it's gone around the world, and it's it's gone where it's need, it needs to go, but there are, God in His mercy are waiting for the, those who need to be saved to be saved. Here's where I want to get to. All this to set up and these couple verses, and then we'll be done. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, parentheses, whoso readeth, let him understand. That's Matthew put that there. 
I don't think Jesus said, whoever's reading, let them understand. I think Matthew writes this in, whoever's reading this, understand. Like, hey, go check it out, what Daniel says. Jesus says, when you see that happen, notice what he's going to say. Then, verse 16, let them which be in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then, when ye therefore shall see this, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. Whoa, this is heavy. Except those days be shortened, no flesh is going to be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. That's a very important verse. And I think we need to think on that as we begin to look at some of these things. These will be deceptive means. So if it were possible, the elect would be deceived. His people would be deceived. Verse 25. I love this verse. Behold, I've told you before. He says, I'm telling you right now. You got any questions? Listen to this. I just told you. We could go on, but for time's sake, um, we'll just kind of kick it back to verse 15 and we'll, we'll, we'll make that our jumping point for next time. But he points this out. Jesus is saying, watch for this, this thing called the abomination of desolation. Man, that sounds like some huge terms and, and big words to say. It just means the thing that is disgusting. If something's an abomination, it's nasty. This disgusting thing that causes desolation, destruction. This disgusting thing that causes destruction. And he says, the one that Daniel wrote about. So that does two things. First of all, it verifies that Daniel is Scripture. There are people who will attack the book of Daniel because of its prophetic nature, because of the, the, the specific way it prophesies and how that has come true already in the short term. They say, well, you know, somebody must have wrote it after. It couldn't have been written in the time of Daniel. Jesus says, hey, Daniel the prophet, go read his book, Daniel's Scripture. And it makes it very important we understand what Daniel says in his book. Yeah, it's hard to understand. But if we just take our time and we see what he's saying, and we think about what he's saying, it's actually pretty clear. That's why Matthew puts in there, Whoso readeth, let him understand. Spend time with it. Get to understand it because Jesus says, watch out. After that, man, things are going to get real. So, that thing, that person, actually, is the turning point. A key point in what is going to happen at the end. And it has everything to do with the Antichrist. So, what we'll do is we'll go to the book of Daniel next week. And we'll look and we'll see what he says about this abomination of desolation. Again, I hope that's helpful. I hope it's thought-provoking. Go read, well, first of all, all the book. The, the book of Daniel's awesome, man. The first six, seven chapters, 
You can't get any better stories and examples than, than what happens there. Read that on your own time, but then kind of get familiar with some of the prophetic, the last half of the book, uh, spe uh, specifically in some of the things he says in, in uh, Daniel chapter 9, and I believe it's Daniel chapter 7 when he, he gets the visions of the, the kingdoms and the statue. It's, it's prophetic literature, so it's, it's kind of trippy when you read it. Uh, but if we get familiar with it, why don't you look over that, and then we'll, we'll go back into that next week. So, again, I hope it was a blessing. I'm going to close in prayer, and then I'm going to go live to the group for uh, Faith Baptist, so my church members will be looking for that. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for all that you've done, all that you've given us, Lord, and I pray that you'd help us to understand what we have read and uh, help these things to go into our hearts that we might be a, a people that is prepared for you and ready for your coming when these signs come to pass, Lord. Again, I ask your blessing on everyone listening and that your will be done in all of our lives. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. We'll see you Sunday, 10 o'clock.